0: Brain Buster Boys are brought to you by Visionaries Global Media, your number one source for
1: podcasting entertainment. Visionaries Global Media, envisioning excellence on a global scale.
2: Yeah.
1: That's that's great. I think we lost Bo. Oh, no. Okay. (laughs) Pause for one second. He's calling me on my phone. We lost you. There is Bo. Yes, Bo is back. episode 29 my name is Brett Jagger along with Beaumont Rand yo everyone how you doing hey I'm good uh how was uh your sister's wedding this weekend
0: it was amazing I think we all had a really good time uh grandparents parents people my age and children alike
1: Mm. um
0: you know they had a good time which is most important um this was definitely one of the top five if not top three days of my mom's life too so you know yeah, you and, prim- and my dad yeah and so yeah. They, they, they both loved it um fun meeting my uh brother-in-law's family uh and getting to know them they were a, a hoot and good time I uh, oh. a thousand percent drank too much um <laughs> and uh yeah I mean you know I uh you know we had a blast and uh I am um, nothing but happy for them and they're going to Hawaii on their honeymoon in September.
1: Excellent. Well, good, good stuff. Glad you had a good time. And uh, we gave you a little buffer day yesterday and we're recording this on Sunday, the day Mm -hmm. we're releasing. But uh, let's just get right to it. We're going to talk a very brief recap of Dynamite and some other wrestling tidbits after our wonderful shit about 90-minute interview Mm -hmm. with Eric and Julia not Lowald lewald uh, we had it wrong initially we're glad they told us that before we started recording um, developer creator writer showrunner extraordinaire all wrapped into one collectively um, of the x-Men animated series and it was a wonderful conversation and I could tell by the look in your eyes on your face and your voice that you were just having a ball
0: weren't you yeah, I mean, you know, uh, definitely mm-hmm. uh, whenever we first started talking to him and I threw that Hail Mary, you know, and I was like, would well, do you want to come on our show? And yeah, they yeah. were, and, and, you know, they were open to it. Um, we continued cultivating a relationship with the wonderful uh, Lee Walds and, uh, you know, push came to shove. And, you know, the way things worked out is they uh, decided to come on. And uh, I don't know, I mean, it couldn't have made me happier. Uh, it definitely uh, was, uh, you know, I think it might have been
1: a boyhood dream come true. The boyhood dream has come true for Sean Michaels.
0: Close to it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely that. You know, it was, uh, you know, uh, just definitely uh, fun to just connect with the show that i that I and many other people have loved in this way to get to talk to them, to hear the great stories, the great writing, craft talk. Absolutely. um and which you are um are about to hear here in a little bit also i'd be remiss not to mention they uh, have a book out that i just ordered that i've been reading it's like a coffee table book it's got pictures as well as stories behind the series it's x-men the art and making of the animated series by both eric and julia leewald and uh definitely recommend if you're a fan of the series to uh buy that up and if you go to their twitter account at x-men um i believe you can order it from there and uh, Yes and we did you did discuss
1: the book a little bit in the interview and determined it was called the Lee Waldepedia,
0: The Lee which correct. you will
1: hear more about and yeah just wonderful people and again you know I'm not someone who really grew up watching the show I'm familiar with X-Men but like Not something I was super into. Watched a couple episodes before and just like, yeah, I was riveted throughout. Like, it was just a great conversation. Oh, yeah. Such such good people. For sure. I really do intend to watch a little, you know, I may not watch the whole thing, but yeah, I'm intrigued, certainly, and just really enjoyed it all. And uh, we hope you do, too. So uh, without further ado, uh, Eric and Julia Lee Wald of the X-Men Animated Series. Here we go. Welcome to the Brain Buster Boys. And we have got a special interview for you today. And we are so excited to be joined by Eric and Julia Lewald, the developer, showrunner, writer, extraordinaire for the X Men animated series. Julia and Eric, welcome to the Brain Buster Boys.
2: Thank you so much. It's a treat to be here. Or be here and there, wherever we are. It's nice to be together.
1: Thanks, bro. Yes, it is a treat. And I know this is especially a treat for Bo, who we get to do a little bit of a role reversal today, with me typically being the very wrestling heavy, the wrestling-centric fan. I was certainly aware of this show growing up, but it wasn't one, you know, I watched a ton, but have kind of gotten reinvigorated through Bo's passion. And I know this is something you've been looking forward to for a pack months before it even
0: became official. Oh, big time. I mean, um, we talked on episode six where, um, you know, I'd said um, whenever, like, you know, we had first connected with you guys, which I guess we can tell the story there later when we get into Apocalypse, because it has everything to do with Apocalypse. But... Uh, <laughs> But uh, no, I was like, you know, when I got into this, you know, I kind of, you know, had no expectation that, you know, I'd be able to connect with, 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 you know, people like you all who, you know, had a big impact on my childhood. So this is great, and thank you uh, from the bottom of my heart for coming on. I'm um, well, glad yeah. <gasps> oh, And he's yes, got the book. We have the book. Um, you know, also the authors of the art and making of X Men: The Animated Series, or as I have taken to call it, the Lee Waldopedia. Oh, uh, nice!
2: Uh, we may have to borrow that. We you may can. have to borrow. Trademark
3: it. it yeah.
0: <laughs> Feel free. Yeah, no, I've, I've definitely cracked into it, and uh oh, no, I, I, I know a lot of people are going to be uh, borrowing it for me sometime soon, and then I'll make them buy them their own copies. So. <laughs> and,
2: and if they do it through our Twitter account, we have okay. a link to Amazon, and we just okay. signed up, so we're getting a few. Pennies. A few very few pennies. pennies for, okay. Sales, that from magic Jeff way. Bezos.
1: <laughs> that who, is from at, space, like literally. <laughs> and that Twitter account is at X-Men T A S for all of you out there. Um, us. that's me. That's yes. us.
3: It's that's her.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's the Lewalds. So before we really dig into all things X-Men animated series and you know, more into kind of how this all came about through our show. And we talked a little bit about this off air before you got on. I was just curious, have you guys watched any wrestling or is it something you ever watched, you know, growing up through the years? Have you engaged with any wrestlers through X-Men fandom, but just kind of curious of your relationship with professional wrestling?
3: When I was it was a kid, I liked it like most everybody did. But that, geez, that none of those people none of those people are still
1: alive. <laughs> <laughs> you know,
3: the, you know, the bruiser, the crusher.
1: Yeah, I was gonna say who were who were some of your favorites?
3: <laughs> yeah, they were they were always bleeding on the cover of magazines. That was the key. You know, they always had to have the little blood come down.
2: Oh when our when our young adult now male sons, sons. Male, were uh, about eight years old, eight nine. Yeah. We, we with another group of family friends went to a, uh, Las Vegas. A, Las Vegas for a big arena event thing and and we got to meet stone cold steve austin nice. at the airport and he was <laughs> at no, he
3: did not. Uh, goldberg
2: oh i'm at goldberg,
3: oh, goldberg. Oh, okay. i got, apologize got, she got a hug and a picture with goldberg picture nice with goldberg. Yes. hey the two can
1: be easily confused it, both, it my
0: brain. both
1: bald both <laughs> wore black trunks both were pretty much top of their respective promotions so i get it And Goldberg was just on Raw uh, last night. Yeah, he just came back last night as Vince McMahon tends to bring him back every few years, you know, because he's such he's got that staying power. I'm personally not a big fan anymore at his age, (laughs) but uh, Stone Cold was always one of my favorites growing up. But um, you'd also mentioned some wrestlers that have connected with with you through their fandom. So who all have you all connected with uh, in the X-Men realm?
2: from and this is this was a happy accident literally bumping into at San Diego Comic-Con in 2018. And boy do I miss conventions cuz man, you you never knew it was like a pinball machine. You never know who you're going to bump into. But Xavier Woods Jr. Jun- PhD, we bumped into New Day at San Diego Comic-Con and we were able to swap a few things we had wonderful wonderful X-Men people
3: hat. he spent the day wearing an x-men previously uh, an x-men hat that which, made uh-huh. my heart
2: sing you know. nice. yeah
3: yeah and, he was great
2: and and referee uh, jason ayers has been very kind to us and been a big fan so we okay. just these cr- random how did this happen i don't know but but we are learning that for young men of a certain age uh when x-men animated series was hitting a lot of stuff in the world of wrestling was exploding kind of at the same time. And and we have been pleasantly surprised at how much overlap there is in those two worlds.
1: And I think you mentioned Johnny Gargano as well, Gargano, a fixture in NXT and been one of my favorite wrestlers for the last several years. So yeah, love it.
2: Nice people that, oh, you like the show? Oh, I grew up, really? Oh, well, (laughs) hey, nice to meet you. You (laughs) So yeah, very Nice.
1: Well, let's dig into the show, and Bo, I'm gonna I'm gonna kick it over to you, and you're gonna lead the charge here, and I will come back for the lightning round, and of course interject myself throughout. But take it away, brother.
0: Wonderful. All right. So, um, last night I uh, cracked into your all's book uh, before I went to bed and stayed up till two in the morning. So, uh, and uh, you know, I kind of really, you know, got a sense of sort of. What um, you all went through in developing the show, um, which sounded like it was a challenging process, Um, and especially, you know, having learned that X-Men and Marvel properties in general had a hard time getting off the ground up until that point. And, um, you know, I've watched, you know, the X-Men episode of that series where Wolverine had the Australian accent that y'all talked about. Um, yeah, that, yeah, yeah, and um, that I think that's the one with the intro where it was like X Men, X Men, you know that. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, that that one off the pride of pride yeah, of the X-Men. pride of the X Men, yeah. yes, yeah. And so, um, you know, um, what I was curious about is, you know, you said um, are all as producer, uh, Margaret Loesch, correct? It's, that, it's it's put on Lesh. Imagine the R's all right. missing. Just all right, it rhymes
2: my, with fresh. Margaret gotcha. Lesh. Uh, Mar-
3: yeah, yeah and fr- she's from Mississippi. Yeah, Margaret, another Southerner. <laughs> she herself
2: had worked for years at at Marvel Productions Mm -hmm. uh, and and had been a big fan of the X-Men books. For
3: almost the entire 80s. And she'd Mm -hmm. pitch uh, Marvel stuff and pitch Marvel stuff.
2: To ABC, NBC, CBS.
3: To to, to the networks, and they wouldn't buy it. They wouldn't buy it. She got a lot of hits on, but not not, uh, Marvel stuff. And that's just, it's so hard to imagine a world where if we said Marvel Comics, the people were trying to pitch... Pitsy would roll her eyes and say oh no you'd never make you'd never make a tv show or movie out of that that's successful come on give me a break next
2: you got to go on the way <laughs> yeah. back machine because back if you ask people on the street name me three superheroes you would get superman batman probably spider-man, Spider-Man maybe mm-hmm. wonder woman but if you said or the hulk name me three x-men People would stare at you blankly because they didn't know who they were. Yeah, yeah Martha, they just didn't know. Yeah, I just
3: warned us when, because she she was, by the time we did it, she was the president of Fox Kids, so she and was her boss. And that's
2: how it happened. She
3: just sat us down and said, you guys don't understand. You'll get into this and you'll love these characters, but 85, 90% of our audience is not going to know who, who they are, what a mutant is, or any of this stuff. So you're going to have to be really clear and focused on keeping that, you know, getting that across early and and getting them used to that and building this world because they're not going to know it when you go in and if you don't take the time to set the world up properly, it's just going to go past them and you're going to lose the audience. Mm-hmm. So yes. that was that's a weird thing to think that people don't. Now we just assume we're mm-hmm. shocked if someone doesn't know the X Men. It's if,
2: a billion dollar we, industry. We should be. Now. In,
3: we were. we were at the uh, air, air, airport in Singapore. And the Malaysian TSA agents all were running around because we had a T-shirt and said, "Oh, you guys were not was my favorite show." My fa-, you know, really? You know, Malaysia. <laughs> it, who, wow. So yeah, it's so it's everywhere now, and it and it really, really wasn't. But um, it's a it's a really you know it's a cool world to be to be given to work with. So,
2: and to qualify, Eric was the one who was tapped to come in as uh, the the show developer, uh, story editor, showrunner. Uh, your name's on every episode as developed for television by uh i'm a writer on the show i was able to write two episodes and and pitched uh, for a third one there and got to be part of the five years of the whole sort of story thing as it was happening so those are that's how we kind of
3: ended up in this world yeah but we didn't really know the books real either we just had to take a crash course (laughs) and kind of learn it as we went and and that was, it was great. It was, it, it could have been, I mean, we've, we've been given far worse things, you know, to, to work on over the years. And it was just, it was, it was a gift.
0: So uh, I guess, you know, what that's what sold you all on X-Men versus, you know, any other series, you know, any other comic book series or any other uh, property?
2: Um, so Eric had been set up to go in for a meeting uh, uh for a new tv show at fox kids and they tended to play it close to the best that they, they didn't want all the information out there. they didn't
3: want they didn't tell it to they them, didn't tell until the night before the meeting that that this is what it was going to be and it just was a case of either taking the job or not taking the job <laughs> yeah. and, oh, wow. and wow. we were you know we we had a baby and just found out a second one was on the way mm-hmm. and man you know, not down and, and they're people that i loved working with the fox people were, were great people i've done a year of uh the beetlejuice series with them as the supervising writer on it, and they were perfect to work with. So I thought, oh my god, whatever I, it is, I get I'm going to get six months' worth of salary, and I'm working with these people again. Let's see what this X Men thing is. I don't know, but I don't care. I you know <laughs> I want I want this job, and I want to work with these people. And then I met the creative, the artist, artistic and it was got even better, and then started reading the book. Said okay, is even better? And we just we just ran with it. I mean, it just was, we suddenly realized we've been given something very cool to work with and, and then fought for it when, you know, there's always a bunch of, uh, collaborators TV, TV series take millions and millions of dollars to produce. And so a lot of people with money in it, you know, the advertisers, uh, local TV people, whatever, they're always want to know what's coming, you know, the next season, is it going to be successful? Am I going to make some money off of it? Do I get it? Do I not get it? And uh, they all put pressure on people like Margaret who decide what show to put on. Cause you could on a hundred different shows and they all were, most people were resistant to the X-Men. They just thought it was really adult and dark. And You know, where's the humor, where's the goofy little sidekicks, where's the silly stuff I can sell the, the six year olds while they you know, sell my cereal to. There was some real pushback. And luckily Margaret got the books and Marvel was just a small company at the time, but they got obviously got the books. And so we had our bosses uh, behind us in keeping it from being changed because there's always pressure on a show to go in different directions. People see it differently. And we got a lot of pressure to dumb it down and make it younger. And we fought that tooth and nail.
2: One point, Margaret Lesh had been at Marvel Productions when and, and had been trying to get excitement in an, in an X-Men animated series, had managed to scrounge together enough money to create a one-off half hour as a sales tool. The one
3: that, the one that Bo, Bo saw, the Pride of the X-Men. Pride yeah. of the X-Men.
2: And, yeah, and that included a lot of the people that ended up working on X-Men, the animated series. But at that time, over at Marvel at the time, they weren't the top bosses in charge. Yeah. And you asked about... For example, bosses in charge of Pride of the X-Men, well, uh came out '89, I think, '89. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah,
3: 80, 80, 80. So it was The biggest
2: movie in the in the world. The,
3: yeah, when they were making it, Crocodile Dundee was the biggest movie of the year, and that's why Wolverine oh, was, had it out. That's literally the level of not only the notes you get, but the directives you get from the people above you, So, "Look, I'm putting my money into this. make Wolverine Australian. kids
2: won't know from a Canadian. Yeah, accent. they won't know any
3: better. you know uh, and put thirty seven people into this this twenty two minute story, even though you can't make sense out of them because we can sell more, you know, sell more merch that way. whatever it is, if they say it, a lot of times you just have to put up with it. Yeah. And one of the nice things about when we did this show was we got some, pressure like that and the guys that had worked on the show like uh, previous shows like Larry Houston and Will Minio, and had, Margaret Lesh had been in the business for 10 or 15 years they'd given in on a lot of these creative decisions and they're just like lying in the sand no not this time we know what this one needs to be we know your concerns but if you don't like what we're doing you know fire us you know we'll tell with it we're we're doing it this way end of discussion and we had seven or eight of those moments over the first six months. You and, had one. Wow. Oh, you had a specific yeah, one. Yeah, but, uh, I, I, had but lots, you... I had lots of them. But yeah, but the, <laughs> but, but it was because nobody knows. They're all risking their money. Yeah, and it's and, a lot of money. And it takes six months to get the first animation back. You're, we're all telling these people it's got to be this way. It's got to be this tone. It's got to have this, this uh, you know drama to it. It's got to be adult. And they say, well, how do you know that? You know, we did we just we just believed it. It just was our instinct that if we didn't do it this way, it was gonna ruin the show. And they had to take our word for it and bet their money on it. So we have sympathy, but you still have to tell them no. Right? <laughs> so uh, yeah, Will almost got could have been fired, Margaret could have been fired over it if, if it hadn't gone well, but it went well. So so it's all it's all cool later. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's great, and I know there was one I read about in the book about how—and no joke, Brett—you'll think this is really funny about um, how they wanted to have uh, Professor X and Cyclops drive around in a van with a dog, you know? Yep. Scooby-Doo-like. Yeah. Scooby-Doo-like. Yeah. Yeah. Scooby like it.
2: <laughs> is that... looking for a mutant on the run. Yeah, because
3: because that was a proven thing, and it was mm-hmm. it was cheap. They didn't have to build all those sets and build the expansion and everything. Uh, and it just obviously people that had no clue what the books were about. Uh, I think that one came from Haim Saban because you know he was putting money into it. He, his history was making money by doing stuff on the cheap, and,
4: and that's what he
3: knew, and that was in his heart and soul. There's and that, he'll I, admit to that, yeah, he's a
4: billionaire, not, yeah,
3: he'll, so. he'll, <laughs> he'll, 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 he won't, he won't say, oh, how dare you say? It? He said, of course, of course, <laughs> and, uh, and so there was pressure to do something small and cheap and silly and not as big, and so but we made it. We looking back, it was an expensive show for them to produce and we didn't have that big a budget. So everybody was working overtime and, and pushing things and pushing things in. And if it hadn't been successful, they just wouldn't have been a second season or they would have done the second season at half the budget or or you know, mm-hmm. or they just they would have they would have made it much smaller and simpler. Yeah. But we just we saw it the way it was in the books. And we, tr- and we really wanted to try to, to
0: live up to that. And um, I guess kind of, you know, talking a lot about sort of the genesis of the show um, and sort of what's been iconic with it, you know, obviously the introduction theme, you know, is something that, you know, like whenever we started posting, like, oh, yeah, we're going to interview you guys, you know, everyone, you know, we had some people posting the YouTube video of the introduction theme. So I guess, you know, when it comes to um, putting the show together, how, uh, how exactly did that come about?
3: The, the, the opening theme
2: shout out to Ron Wasserman who was a journeyman composer guy working for he just um, worked,
3: we got, we're, we're lucky working at Saban mm-hmm. and he had a real instinct for this kind of thing he created that, that and and Power Rangers he did both of those he probably got oh. you know he probably earned he probably earned a few hundred bucks for that
2: because he was on salary and Cause, you <laughs> know he does not
3: have any rights to any of that stuff he's working for Saban they keep yeah. the rights to everything.
2: But those two theme songs he did them both
3: and yeah. to the credit of Will Minio and Larry Houston the two the people that knew and loved the X-Men that read every uh, read every book over the years and were the, the head artists on the show right
2: art side yeah yeah
3: they and and our main Fox executive Sydney Iwater understood that it needed to be a really intense opening and so you know Ron gave him a gave him an opening and it sounded okay and he was used to it, Saban, you know, do it once and be done with it. Go on to the next thing. Don't, you know, don't spend too many hours on it. And Will and Larry and Sydney made him go back and redo it 20 times. Yeah. to where he wanted to kill them. Yeah. Just making it more intense and more intense, and more layers of stuff and faster and more garage bandy and more mm-hmm. just, just so that it was more dramatic. And it, it, we, we had a big discussion. You know, how do we introduce this world? Well, we actually wrote some narrations for the title and not, they were all none of them worked at all um stanley wrote a version i wrote a version we just wrote a version, and, and none of that worked and larry just and i both were old enough that when we were little kids we'd love johnny quest 1964 when i was very small <laughs> and uh, just which is just slam bang Action opening, hear the characters, Here they're fighting some bad guys, you know, and no words, no nothing, just sweep you into the action. So we had to do that and then introduce the characters so that they'd remember because it was a big cast and remembering all these different people and what their powers were and all. So Larry sat down and, and just designed that opening in about a day and a half. Storyboard, up, storyboarded. Storyboard. Storyboarded that. it. Wow. Up, and brought it to Sydney and Margaret and they both had, and, and Will, and they've all had the same reaction. This is cool, exciting, but we need to see more of the characters. So Will sat down and did like the first third where you see all the, the names coming mm-hmm. up.
2: Was that Larry? Was well, that... Larry, Larry
3: did the, the, the fonts, but gotcha. Will designed the action at the beginning where you, you you're spending the time with the characters, time with the characters, and then you go to the X-Men action. Um, so that so they had one rivet, revi- so one revision. So it's maybe three days work between the two of them, and you get this incredible thing that explains the whole world. It's exciting, it's wonderful. All the fans love it to death. Well, just watch it. They get angry yeah. when they see skip intro on streaming <laughs> services. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> never they said, No, never. Yeah. Play it again. Yeah.
2: Play it again. So well,
3: between between so it was very much those creative guys, Will and Larry designing the right look and making Ron make the make the sound as intense enough to fit the look so those guys get crap i had nothing to do with the opening
4: yeah.
0: other than looking at Yeah, hey, that's cool you know thumbs up. Yeah. Yeah. and uh you know like both like a very like exciting opening and very like efficient from a storytelling perspective you know it gets like everything across and i know you all mentioned Stan Lee to um you said he recorded something like how like um, was he involved in the project at all in the early going? Uh, off, off and on for the first for the
3: first season because mm-hmm. he'd been around you know obviously forever and he and he Stan Lee he's Stan Lee <laughs> he's like the the world's you know the the entire world knows Stan and Stan yeah. is the heart and soul of Marvel Comics and uh, Stan had actually been heavily involved in the writing of the comics from like the late fifties. Through the early 70s but since then he's more been like you know i'm gonna sell the comics to the world guy and other people taking over the various books and but you know he'd stayed on and he was involved in marvel productions mm-hmm. and stan just even at the time i think he was 69 or 70 when we started was very intense and very full of energy and very much wanting it kind of to be his show Mm-hmm. And what? But what he remembered, he didn't been involved in X-Men. The book, when nineteen sixty-three, sixty-four. I mean, he helped
2: create it. He yeah, it. he and Jack Kirby
3: created it. But it was half dozen young white teens that were like quipping at each other, and it was a had a very different tone. And that mm-hmm. book went for a few years, failed, and then when it was repurposed by Len Wein and uh, Chris Claremont back in the mid seventies, suddenly it's older characters from all over the world. Uh, very, very much darker and more adult than the book was. Mm-hmm. So what little Stan remembered from 1963 in 1992 uh, was a very different tone. We tried to, to figure out how to to tell, you know, as we're discussing, yeah, you know, he, we wrote a bunch of scripts. He finally saw the storyboards. And so we had finaled all the scripts and we'd, we'd done a couple storyboards and he went to Margaret and said, "No, no, I think I'd like to change this. Make it a lot younger."
2: Which is the wrong time in the process. Yeah, yeah. yeah, the train left the station. Yeah, we
3: yeah. would have been much more open early on while we were trying to make sense of it all. But Stan wanted to wait until he could see the artwork, and by that time we'd you know, basically written all the scripts. And so there was kind of a, uh, and and Stan would be the first one to admit to this. There was, you know, kind of the moment where we had to decide. You know, he he brought it to Margaret. Margaret. Brought and you know, I brought it to her boss at Fox, and I, and I said, "Look, I'll listen, you know, to Stan's suggestions because he he gave me a bunch of notes on the first story, and I said, Stan, 'Stan, we've already recorded that and it's already been storyboarded and it's been sent over into animation. We can adjust this a little bit, but you know, we're yeah, we're kind, and so we had that moment and it was it was awkward because you know I'm this." Thirty-something guy that nobody's ever heard of, and I'm saying no to Stan Lee, on him <laughs> wanting to change the show. Wow! And that was that was a that was a tough that was that was a difficult time. But in the end, you know, he saw how successful, you know, what our version ended up being, and he was, you know, fine with it. We ended up work. Julie and I ended up working with a couple things with him on at D, you know, other places other afterwards. Things, yeah. You know, She mm. hired me. What he had a. We had the Stanley Media website mm-hmm. hired me to, to to do some development for him. So, you know, we're in great we are on great terms. It just it couldn't be both. It couldn't be you know Led Zeppelin and Pat Boone. It, you know, it had to be one of the two.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: And so that it's just it's a it, you know it's it's the nature of our collaborative business. Sometimes, you know, you just have to sit down and make a decision one way or the other. And yeah. we luckily. Yeah. Well, for me, you know, I wasn't fired because I could have been. <laughs> you
0: know? Wow. So, uh, you know, kind of with all that kind of struggle back and forth to get the first season going, you get the first season going. It's great. You get renewed for the, you know, later seasons um, as you kind of move into later seasons. And as a writer myself, you know, like, you know, I, you know, uh, Brett and I do a lot of the scripts for the show. And as we kind of move through it, you know, we've kind of developed a lot of kind of confidence and rapport um, you know, workload management, you know, that, that we do, um, you know, as we've gone along with that. So as you all kind of moved through the series, did you all find that that there were any like guiding principles that, um, you all have when writing the series?
3: Yeah, I think the, the bet, the best stories always came out of an individual character. I mean, even when we were, uh, you know, like, like, um, rogue wanted the cure and is rogue gonna give up her mutancy? or beauty of the beast this you know beast is is beast gonna walk away from a young woman that he loves because society isn't ready for them yet or just the the, the, the ones that resonated with us uh, all had to do with it, it wasn't so much the spectacle which is kind of a given you know like all the big fights with uh, you know between super villains and superheroes or between just it was it came down to character stories and you know Wolverine probably had you know had his heart broken 11 different times (laughs) over the course of 76 episodes but those are the ones or when they lost more you know at the beginning Mm -hmm. that was Mark Edens who's also from Tennessee and I when we laid out the first two seasons we laid out of the first season we called up the network and said I know you don't allow this kids television but for something as real as the X-Men, we need to kill an X-Men in the opening story.
2: Because that means there's a consequence. Yeah. It doesn't just reset at the end and everyone's fine.
3: Yeah, it's not play violence. It's real violence. Mm-hmm. We need to kill somebody. Yes. And I
2: thought you were out of your mind. <laughs> yeah.
3: Because
2: it was kids television and it was Fox Kids. It was a new network. I yeah. Mean, but,
3: but they were smart and Avery, they understood.
2: Avery Coburn.
3: Yeah, there's a lady that was our censor. Our and she could have just said, No. She could have said, "Oh well, they never punch each other, or they never blow up a building." She could have just said no, and her word was law. But she liked the books, luckily. Mm. Oh, you know, otherwise we wouldn't be here talking. Yeah, and she let us do it, and so that you know, that moment of personal loss for the X Men, it just um, made them a real family uh, by the end of the first story.
2: And we have heard from so many folks how that resonated with them that 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 the stakes they got superpowers, they've got mutancies, big things are happening, but, but on a personal level, this horrible thing happened within their family. And it, it, it changed all of them. And it changed you when you yeah. got the call, yeah. we're doing season two, which is like, Oh, that's great. Cause we don't know. You don't know. Yeah. We'd all been, we'd all been laid off after season one. Cause, Cause they really end.
3: didn't know that it was going to be successful. They, re- right. they really didn't know. So we were all, wow. we were all let go and working on other stuff. And when the call came.
2: And you got a call saying, yay, we're doing season two. All right. But.
3: We got a problem. <laughs> we did a focus group on a bunch of a bunch of nine-year-olds, about six, seven episodes into the series. We asked them who their favorite character was and Morph won by a landslide. Oh. And wow. so, and I said, but no, we've killed him. It's important. It's, it's, no, no, this is, this is not going to be a, car, a comic book death. This is not going to be a, a, a soap opera soap death. Opera death. It's uh, real, please. And he said, you know, guys, can you think about it? Just, you know, think about it overnight, please. And then, okay, so we had him come back with PTSD and and working with the villains for a while. And it was, we got some very good uh, stories out of him coming back, but we really didn't want him to. It that was,
2: wasn't supposed to happen. Try that, just uh, letting you guys know I that. wasn't
1: pleasant <laughs> to be around for a couple That's, of days. It's actually funny because again, I'm more of an outsider. And I watched the first episode before this, the two-parter. And I'd seen that we had a question about Morph and how he was his favorite character. And I'm like, but wait, did he just die? So I'd ask Bo, I'm like, is Morph actually dead? And he's like, no, he comes back. So it's funny you mentioned that because now I even get that as kind of you know an outsider here. And again, really enjoyed the first episode and how you mentioned earlier about building that world you know, I'm someone who's seen the X-Men movies like one and two and, you know, know enough about it, but it's been so long. And I do agree. It did a great job of kind of setting everything up for that and really enjoyed it. And I'm sure I'm going to continue on, uh, after this discussion, for sure. For sure. And, uh,
0: You know, I guess, you know, this segues into um, our friend Chad's question from at Chad's mind. He was one of the people who asked the question on the thread that thank you all for participating on that, by the way. Um, And kind of talking about Morph, you said that he won that um, focus group, you know, Child Sing by a Landslide. So what do you think made him so memorable despite the limited screen time?
2: I I truly believe it's because in introducing Morph with each of the individual characters, they each had a very specific relationship with Morph. There's the, the funny moment where Gambit's watching a politician on TV and Morph transforms into the ga- into the politician yeah. and then transforms mm-hmm. into Gambit. So yeah, each one of these moments was specific to each character and Wolverine's was the most touching. You know, he's he makes me laugh. He's you know? the
3: only person that makes yeah. me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and so what we we were working hard while we we're setting the world up to make Morph as beloved and sympathetic as possible. So when he was killed. It would resonate if he was an asshole. No one would care. Mm-hmm. Uh, the more the more beloved, the more you care. Also, he was he was funny, mm-hmm. and the way most most of these people in the show are very serious adults, and he was this this guy that was mischievous and funny and having a great time, and he's the one that gets the, the that gets killed. So we 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 hitting ourselves I was like we did our job too well. We made him too <laughs> beloved by everybody, too sympathetic.
2: There is a moment though that we we share. Uh, we, we got to meet Ron Rubin, the fellow who's the voice of Morph a couple of yeah. years yeah. ago. We, the voice recording was all in Canada. We had not met any of them until about three years ago on really? online. Oh wow.
4: Yeah, yeah. It's yeah they,
3: they we would send up a script, they'd record it, we'd get this is how hot how, how <laughs> hot the te- technology was. We'd get a an audio cassette snail mailed to us. We'd listen, <laughs> we'd send fax up notes so that when they did the next episode. They'd make some changes in the you know they they do change some lines in, in the previous one, but that's how high tech it was. and it was all in Toronto, Canada. So the, the voices.
2: The the first reading with and and the casting was was a challenge because the point is we ended up with a great cast um, who who were mostly theater actors who yeah. were trained theatrically as opposed to your typical. Saturday morning cartoon kind of voices. But Ron Rubin, voice of in is in oh, 13 episodes. This is exciting. This looks interesting. Oh, like man. any actor. Oh
4: my God.
3: I'm on a series. I'm a lead in <laughs> a series. You know, what part of the X-Men? And
2: and keeps reading the script and goes, wait, I die.
3: Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> I, I get two, two, two checks not 13 what's what's the deal here this is a
2: kid's show i'm not supposed to yeah. you can't have somebody die but yeah so so,
3: so he shared that with us that, he had that mo- in front of the other actors he had that moment and yeah. they all got to laugh at him <laughs> sorry ron has got to take it
0: <laughs> yeah and i guess that segue is really great into sort of my next question is like you know you said this is a kid's show and i think one of the biggest compliments i see this show get kind of on twitter and just from people i talk to is that it You know, balances kind of the classic themes of X-Men, which are uh, uh, characteristic, I would say, you know, contributes to the adult identity of X-Men. You know, the whole like, you know, know, the whole prejudice, social commentary thing that goes with it. So as you all were writing the show, um, how did you all sort of think about like balance, striking that balance between, okay, yes, this is a cartoon that's meant to appeal to kids, but also, you know, needs to have these, you know, adult themes in it?
2: As a writer on the series, uh, it was the most freeing experience I'd ever had up until that point where we were each, each of the writers was charged with, you do not write down with the audience. You write up. You write this like it's an hour-long live-action drama in prime time. It happens to be a half-hour animated show, but you write up. And that was incredibly freeing in terms of what we were allowed to think, what we were allowed to consider. For for any of the characters yeah. in any of the situations,
3: yeah, and and we and we were usually we're pressed to, to to dumb it down and mm-hmm. and and not, but we were as you say we were being pressed to 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 write you know the most intense show we can write within the rules. We there were, couldn't be blood. We couldn't be slashing people. We couldn't have recognizable weapons. That's why there's uh odd futuristic guns instead of mm-hmm. uh naturalistic guns because there were rules against it um because i mean the whole thing for for kids was well you can't show someone shoot a gun at somebody because then a, ki- a kid in kentucky will pick up a gun and shoot his sister
2: imitatable mm-hmm. behavior imitatable
3: mm-hmm. behavior is what mm-hmm. we're so
2: but that also shows you how avery coburn really understood what the x-men were in the pilot when in the first two-parter when wolverine comes off the, the blackbird and cyclops is trying to explain I, I know you feel bad about how we had to leave morph behind and wolverine comes up and just pounds him in the stomach um and the so next time i use the claws <laughs> that's the only time we, I, were, all, we were the only time we were to
3: allowed to ever show any one of our guys punch punching each other, other wow but one time
2: and without the claws but it was because that punch was showing us what had just happened yeah. to him emotionally because he was and grieving he was grieving. And, and and that was she how let it, us do and it. She
3: let us do it, and yeah. But so so to answer the question, we never lost sight. Luckily, our we had a kind of schizophrenic guy above us, Sydney Eyewater. He he was great. I mean, he was he supervised hands on supervised X Men, Spider Man, Batman, The Tick, uh, all of the all of the cool shows. All the cool shows. He was this nine year old boy at heart, <laughs> but loved intense adult stories mm-hmm. so we also knew besides having a to have a good drama we had to have the fast pace and the spectacle and some stuff blowing up and some uh, and show the powers it's like that you know there's an old uh story i think half a dozen authors are given references but the one i on my i heard it was Chekhov. it said if you bring a cannon onto a stage you have to shoot it So if you've got a bunch of characters with superpowers, you don't want them just walking around and talking and doing what anybody could do. You want to set up situations so they have to use the superpowers Mm -hmm. naturally so that you can enjoy the spectacle. And it's animation, so you want to use it and push it. So we're pushing all those things at the same time. And luckily, the adults like the older stuff, the kids love the beautiful, the colors and And we got a lot of notes about, well, these are very adult emotions that are coming through, uh, you know, broken hearts. Uh, Someone's marrying somebody. death. And I said, well, you know, the four-year-olds won't know quite what they're feeling, but they'll get it. Mm -hmm. And they'll look to their nine-year-old brother and say, what's going on here? And and he'll tell them, and loss is loss. You know, little kids lose things. They they lose friends they, they their, their hearts are broken because they don't get something they want just because it's a bunch of 30, 30 year olds as leads doesn't mean you can't get through to a four year old
2: yeah. that's just good old-fashioned storytelling all the way back to mythology you know in yeah. terms mm-hmm. of the telling of the story of a character
0: yeah.
2: and how you express that
0: um, so I guess um, Brett, the next question I just wanted to go and throw that over to you oh yeah, yeah so. Yeah this has been great thus far. I mean, you oh, guys it's been wonderful digging yeah. into oh, a
1: lot and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, really going deep and kind of answering questions we already had planned, which is always <laughs> wonderful. Um, <clears throat> but we were just kind of wondering what were some of, and you've talked to some of this, but who, what, what were some of your influences both in and out of comics in making the show?
2: Well, just, from a production, <laughs> from a straight on production question.
1: Yeah. There's a lot of ways. do.
2: <laughs> um, you got the call in February '92 to go in for the meeting that for the show that was then to debut in uh, in the fall of that year. That's that's a very short window for animation development.
4: Mm-hmm. In the
2: meantime, over at Warner Brothers Studios, the good people at Warner Brothers were were already a year into producing what would then come out as Batman the Animated Series. So, and they had the budget, <laughs> they had the resources, beautiful artwork, and we have a lot of friends who worked on that show, and so we were constantly aware of what they were achieving just in terms of the production of the show yeah. and so it kind of became this okay we don't have the budget but you know what can we tell what else what do we have and yeah. we had these amazing how do, characters how, how, do,
3: how do we push it but as far, right. yeah but as far as far as as influences um i think the thing about obviously they didn't bring me on because of my comics background um but we, we, we all had a, a lot of animation writing background. Mm-hmm. But but before that, the things that that hit me and hit Mark, again, Mark Heens, who helped me lay out the first two, he wrote 10 or 11 of them. He and his brother did the entire Phoenix saga, just those guys. Mm-hmm. So he's he a dear friend all the way back from college So somebody had written with. We all three loved heroic stories. We big movie craze growing up. And so we watched... You know, big westerns and war movies and epics, historical epics. Can I
2: just interrupt here? You egg sucking piece of gutter trash, which many (laughs) people quote as their favorite Wolverine non curse. That came from from
3: from the Wild Bunch. There are half uh, a dozen Wild Bunch lines, and because uh, because of these guys, we all we all knew each other in college and programmed movies together. So we just we loved big, intense, uh, adult, heroic movies and. Even back to the Marx, uh, like uh, 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 degree was was in classics, like in mythology and, so, and I mm-hmm. love that stuff. So all the way back to you know Roman, I mean Greek, Roman, Norse mythology, big heroic tales. So that fit in, and we had the artists that oh. were crazed comic people,
2: encyclopedic knowledge,
3: encyclopedic comic people that put all this comic book world stuff in and all these little easter eggs and poses and made it feel like a living comic book if you and thought so, you
2: saw an easter so, egg you probably did so, so right <laughs> so
3: none of that came from me but a lot of the big over the top battle emotion stuff you know came from me and the writers because we were focused on making these dramatic her- heroic stories and it just fit with the x-men mm-hmm. it just it fit with them uh, so that was that's that was so what i brought to it not not the co- not the knowledge co- of the comic characters
2: the the, t- the call you got and then the next day when you started it was you and and mark edens yeah. who you brought in the, it was the two of them at our dining room table okay you've got 13 episodes because that's all they thought was going to happen they figured margaret lesh really wanted to make the show but there was no expectation that it would last beyond the 13 episodes which and we was were standard way and order.
3: we were way behind <laughs> way behind so it's so, 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 we looked at some of the dates on the old scripts and things and and i said okay you guys, you've got like a week to figure out the entire world for this and,
4: Damn.
3: and which characters you're going to focus on, what the stories are going to be. And Mark, you've got like 10 days, write that first story, that, that two-part story. Wow. It was originally a three-part story because oh. we wrote it so long.
2: Not uh, of the Sentinels.
3: Not of the Sentinels. It's just mm-hmm. so much that we were trying to jam into it. Mm-hmm. And, and there, that's, that, that was an embarrassing moment. I don't think it's in the book, but it was an embarrassing moment with B and the head artist Will after we'd written it Mark and I were waiting to see what it would look like he came and he had the storyboard most storyboards are like about what we have are about 900 images three per page so about 300 pages and so he brought in what we'd written and he said okay here is what you guys wrote transformed into art he took a third of it off and dropped it on the floor here's what we have time and money. <laughs> to animate oh boy. so there was there was some condensing and trimming down and getting sadly get probably getting rid of some fun little side mm. things that that weren't essential but what it ended up doing I think was making the first two parter really move fast and right. really mm-hmm. be have, having to be concise getting the points across because we had to trim it back a third from what we were trying you know what we try to stuff into it and,
2: and in the stuffing was also mm-hmm. you and Mark sort of Trying to figure out what are the best thirteen stories. If we if we only get thirteen, which is all you were told you were going to get, what thirteen yeah. stories do we want to tell yeah. for these characters? And what I
3: thought one of them was you know is there some way to uh, uh, the most intense thing we could, you know to give up your mutancy to give up what de- seems to define you? And so we did that with Rogue, and we were also trying to introduce a certain number of major you know big. That was kind of a uh, directive. Okay, we've got some big time X-Men villains and guest people that we, you know, uh, Magneto, obviously, and Apocalypse. There were half a dozen people we wanted to get in the first season, no matter what. And so that we had to to figure out how to get them in while telling the personal stories that we knew would hold up. Because if you just, okay, Apocalypse and the the X-Men are gonna fight for, I actually think the weakest of the episodes was the Juggernaut episode in the first season because it's basically here's Juggernaut here's Colossus we, we, we've introduced them they fight a little bit and the X-Men come out on top and there's not a whole lot more to that episode mm. there's a deeper uh, Juggernaut episode later where you find out he's Xavier's half brother and all the stuff between them but it was kind of the most the simplest most cartoony episode of the first 13 right and looking back i wish we'd had you know another week to deepen mm. it a little bit
2: Thinking of those kinds of moments, though, with the characters, you know, each of these characters has got the world's coolest power, but for each one of them, it's their own curse. If Wolverine had Rogue's ability and and couldn't touch someone without sucking their power out, he would be happy. He'd go off and live in the woods and you'd never hear from him again. And if Rogue had adamantium claws, that's cool. She wouldn't use them unless she needed to, but she'd be able to touch someone. (laughs) So each of these characters, the very thing that made them, you know, this cool superhero kind of person. Is the thing that on a personal level w- was so haunting for them. I mean, Wolverine, who doesn't really care for people, suddenly the guy is almost immortal, and he's got to put up with people for centuries as opposed to just years. You know, it's like this is hard. This is sad. You know, and Cyclops. Uh, it always bothered me that because I wear glasses,
4: that <laughs> this
2: poor guy didn't know a moment's peace without his glasses, and yet he was so in love with Jean. You know, and could not stare into her eyes. Uh-oh. You know, it's like that's sad. Yeah,
3: yeah. it's
2: a cartoon, but that's sad. So, so we
3: had to make up a couple places like the Savage Land where they, they didn't have their powers, and so everybody could
0: could be the way they wanted to for for a short time for a, for a short
2: time. Yeah, they could and kiss. <gasps> <laughs> uh,
0: and, and that's it. That there's like sort of like a classical tragedy within all these characters. Yeah, you yes. know? yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, something that's like very like rich from a storytelling perspective. Um, so I guess, yeah, let's, um, you know, I think this is a great time to go into characters. I do have to tell you all one thing. Now that you mentioned your favorite uh, Wolverine or what um, a lot of people's favorite Wolverine moment is, I want to tell you my favorite Wolverine moment. Oh, it's, um, it, it, it's an episode about um, the Juggernaut. I forget which one it is. I don't think it's the one you're talking about Eric. Okay. But um, Scott is they're on the Blackbird and, and Cyclops is like, Wolverine, we've got to go help the Juggernaut. And don't tell me you don't like it. And then it's right up in his face. Like, like even like, like his face is just fully like in frame. And he goes, I don't like it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like it, it kills me every time. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah. And, and especially in that first season, um, you know, what were, you know, I guess overall, I guess, you know, in all the seasons, what were some of your favorite, you know, story arcs or characters to write? Well,
2: I, I had the the privilege of working on uh, the days of future past two parter in the first mm-hmm. season. And again, that was just, you know, just uh, dumb luck and dumb enough to be stupid and not know what I was walking into, because that's like the crown jewels of the yeah. X-Men you know, universe I'm going, oh, yeah, that'd be fun to do. Oh, we can't use Kitty Pride. Oh, we're going to m- use Bishop, who's a time traveling. Go- okay, that's cool. Without any, any concern that you
3: know she the, might be she might be freaking out the fans
2: yeah, mm, right. yeah which we
3: look we didn't have to deal with there's no internet so we didn't no, there, were no <laughs> there were no trolls One we were what really, a time I, yeah uh, yeah honestly we were able to do this kind of under the radar yeah and by the time it came out and people liked it it was too late for them to to get <laughs> rid of us we were we already done you know we already had 13 done but yeah oh oh just uh she wrote that uh, that beauty and the beast episode where
2: stephanie matheson wrote it but i'm I, sorry I, I, she I came, up out, came up with the idea the idea for the beauty and the beast where beast falls for a b- helps a blind woman who mm-hmm. regains her sight but whose father is a rabid anti-mutant hater person and <laughs> so they're, they're sort of forced apart but i mean i mean my god this is a kid's show but we're telling this really intense romantic story which i thought played beautifully yeah and stephanie did an amazing job and, and
3: one of the one of the most the nastiest lines that were written what in that was in that episode when Jubilee says something huh. why do you you know why do you oh. hate us says, because you were born I mean, boom <laughs>
2: I think it was that episode yeah, yeah. boom yeah.
3: that
2: is like yeah. okay there you go that's it can't solve this can't yeah. fix it and not he, gonna happen and
3: people ask me you know my because the, we had to really care about all the characters to write them but I had the most empathy as you for Charles Xavier, because <laughs> over the course of five years, I had twenty different writers that were working on the show. Julie is one of them, uh, one of the first ones, <laughs> and and I kind of felt like the Xavier guy, keeping the team together and making sense of it all. And they're all at very different people, with you know, and so I felt kind of like the daddy in it. And so, <laughs> yeah. so I have very, very great sympathy for him. And there was a the the, the show that I think I'm we're. There's a lot of things I'm proud of, but one of them's Phoenix saga was hard, you know, to come up with a five-parter that really hung together and, and made sense as five different episodes. And the books were had stories going all over the place on that one. And that seemed to come across nicely. Uh that's probably the biggest challenge. But the story I like best.
2: And I'm so proud of this one.
3: Yeah, there, um it was called One Man's Worth. It's a two-parter. It's it's, it's like the third season, like episode 4950, something like that. And it just—it is a really simple idea. It's what would the world be like without the X-Men? You know, what is their contribution to life? And that's a kind of—that's—that's that's a nice, great, open-ended thing. Like, what are these guys worth? And it—the they have—it's a time travel thing. Someone goes back and kills Xavier when he's 21 in college, and then suddenly the world is all gone to hell. And it's a—it's a negative. You know, it's a dystopian land miserable landscape and uh, nonstop war and misery. And so our mm-hmm. guys have to go back and undo it to bring the world back. And so it's to us it it just came like from uh it's a wonderful life where you know right. Jimmy yeah, Stewart exactly yeah, yeah Jimmy Stewart. What would the world have been like without you or mm-hmm. City on the edge of forever which classic
2: is classic Star Trek also. oh
3: yeah. Original Star Trek where if Kirk if, if Kirk saves this woman She'll live and Hitler will win and everything will go. So he has to let her die uh, or else time will be changed. And so the one person's worth.
2: You came up with that. He's the one who came up with what became one man's worth. And uh, just the thing that kills me is that we see the, the alternate universe where things have gone to hell. Oh, but yeah. Wolverine and Storm have found each other in this alternate universe. And they are not only in love, they are married. It's only, they it, have wedding bands on yeah, them. It's the only
3: time anybody in our group is married to anybody.
2: And then the fact that they, they, they know that they have to sacrifice to end up, you know, just to save the, the universe at that point and, and do. But it's like, as a writer on the show, it's like, Good Lord. Of course they're supposed to be together. Why didn't this happen earlier? They need to be together. <laughs> and yet yet they, they couldn't be in our worlds. But that, that was just such a beautiful story and such a heart tugger. Yeah.
0: Well, so uh, I guess, um, you know, we're talking about characters. Um, I guess we would be remiss not to talk about the character that uh, connected us initially, which is Apocalypse. So um, I guess, yeah, um, to tell the story. Um, so you all have an, another wrestler who's a fan of you on. That's Thunder Rosa who's one of our favorite wrestlers, and she posted one day on Twitter and she was like, who's your favorite X-Men animated series character? So immediately I know, you know, and so I just throw them up there and, uh, you know, I'm like, anytime this guy is on, it's, you know, must-see TV. And then that becomes our most liked tweet, you know, since we started the account, I think, a month ago. And, uh, yeah, and then you all liked it. And I was like, Brett, oh, my God, you know. Like, they <laughs> he, was fre- he
1: was freaking out, and I'm like, was like dude, what- this is awesome.
0: Yeah, I was like, what's going on? and uh, this would have yeah. been what like december of december yeah, yeah yeah around hit watch time and yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. and so um yeah we, we reached out to you all and uh you know so um just kind of funny because apocalypse is the one character that um has like in my adult life been enduring in the way that like you know i'll show v- videos of people to him giving these speeches and you know we we get a lot of humor from it you know the guy's just full of ego and stuff um <laughs> so uh i just i just have to ask you know um and i also guess knowing that you all didn't meet the voice actors for a long oh. time because the voice actor from for apocalypse i, I know it switched at one point yeah. um yeah. it was really iconic yeah. so um like what was what kind of went into conceiving apocalypse when you all first read it the the, the fun well, not the fun but the, the
2: point in in the kind of character apocalypse is he is he isn't uh, he's, he's an eternal he has been around forever he he's is, so much larger than life
3: and we, mm-hmm. we actually felt that was kind of a, a problem they had in conceiving that the the realistic live action movie that focused on him because watching like a five foot ten inch actor walking around in an apocalypse i suit. love yeah. Oscar isaac Me I too. Lot, yeah we, we we lost the sense of just scale that he has that he's met.
2: Our dog has joined us, by the way. We <laughs> yeah. It's okay. Um, so, but, but so we, we have to give credit to the casting director up in Toronto who uh, mm-hmm. was working with the theater people uh, at that time, trying out different voices, seeing who might be appropriate. Um, our, our, sadly, we did not know until too late because the voice talent actor- Had passed. passed had passed away a few years ago. But the voice talent, and I'm going to say his name wrong. We John Colicos, is the voice. He's to me, he's the voice of Apocalypse. I, and
3: oh, another gentleman, please. I, I, sorry, yeah. I lost his name, but really? another gentleman came in and did a, also did an equally marvelous job. But the guy that set it up, John Colicos, I don't know if you know the history with Star Trek, but it was a big deal. We didn't deal know. To we, us didn't
4: know. we didn't know. We were
3: we were little kids when 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 the first the first star trek came on and, and when we dated we, that's when we, we bonded yeah we we, we, we <laughs> fell really? in love with that show oh. the way you guys fell in love with with x-men thank
2: you
0: and, and so Bo also very, loves
3: star trek <laughs> yeah, the, the very first the very first klingon that you ever meet in star trek is a klingon officer named Kor and he is played by john colicos no and way so the first the first klingon voice ever in the world was our apocalypse. And we didn't Same know. Guy.
2: We didn't know. We How did about not know.
0: That? that is insane. You blew oh my his mind. God. Yeah.
2: Because
0: <laughs> I think I was watching a Klingon. It might have been the trouble with Tribbles, which is technically a Klingon episode, but you know, a lot more than about that. But um, but I know that's one before that, but that's that's amazing. This, yeah, this
3: is the one where they where, where they've got both him and Kirk down on a planet with a bunch of seemingly really peaceful people. Oh, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're wanting to have a fight with these people, but their fleets can't fight at each other. And both of the core and Kirk want to just want to get at it. And they're just disgusted by it. The, and, the, and this guy's going to scramble S- S- Spock's brain with his <laughs> <laughs> brain scanner. But yeah. so, so, so anyway, yeah, it's, it's that one but whatever it is. But yeah, yeah. So, so,
2: so John Colicos, the voice has a really oh.
3: incredible voice and it's incredible yeah. and Star Trek is incredible.
2: Incredible in X-Men.
3: So yeah, uh, so yeah, but but yeah, Apocalypse, he's just, these other people, he, since he's been around forever, it's just, it's just like he's a force of nature rather than a character mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and playing that. And I forget what prompted us to have him that moment of doubt. And what, that's my very, oh. my favorite <laughs> Apocalypse moment. Is when he kind of pauses and frowns and says, "Am I like, you know, blighted Sisyphus? The, yes. Am I, am I uh, cursed to replay this over and over again and and never change?" And so that moment of doubt, and then he's ah, oh, screw it,
4: yeah. <laughs> he
3: apocalypse again.
0: Mm -hmm. but yeah, that's my favorite apocalypse. Yeah. Yeah, That's
2: a great one. That that one
0: moment where he looks in the mirror. Yeah. And, um, I know, I believe that moment, I believe he's, um, around cable and that Brett and I uh, made a meme that made its rounds where it's a picture. And I think you all have seen it where cable, you see the back, he's really small and you see apocalypse. I believe it's from beyond good and evil when they're in that cavern in the nexus of time, if I'm not mistaken. (laughs) Um, but, um, but yeah, we would use that, you know, it's just sense of scale to be like, you know, small thing versus big thing. You know, I think it originally came from some little weird Twitter thing we had with with a but yeah, you know, that um, went a long way for us. Um, but with Apocalypse, um, I was actually talking to my uh, cousins last night and they you know, were like, oh, you know, somebody so advanced, you know, like and they have ego, you know, like it's such a weird thing to have. And, and my, one of my cousins equated it to. um You know, him, you know, yelling at, you know, mutants or humans is like a human walking up to an anthill and being like, you will pay for your insolence, you know, like it's kind of, you know, the same sort of, you know, and I thought like, you know, I kind of didn't realize that about his character until then. Um, A couple of my favorite lines, I do want to ask one because um, his very first speech, I'm sure you all know the millionaire, Warren Worthington, you know, that sort of classic speech where he's by the sea, and then Mystique asks him, how did you know he was a mutant? And then he goes, I know more of this world than you've ever dreamed, which is why I must destroy it. And I've spent years trying to wrap my head around that. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, uh, if you all have any enlightenment on that, please uh, pray tell.
2: Like in a philosophical sense? What yeah, is yeah, that yeah, yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Or, or, kind, or of, kind of, always?
0: yeah, because uh, I've always just been like, whoa. <laughs>
2: yeah. I, I will say we've had the fun accident of bumping into folks at conventions. We, uh, a few folks, a, a, a philosophy major who went into philosophy because of some of the things that between Beast and Apocalypse that, yeah. that they were exposed to in the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm trying to think what what's the right way to oh, tackle oh. that. Just just and a, a way for Apocalypse to just indicate he is the biggest, the so, baddest.
3: just so, 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 a, a sense of scale, but also a sense of yeah, I've, I've seen it all and. Mm-hmm. I, I I disdain it. I'm it's not exact, like, and I'm not a, it just just. The, the, there's just something nasty, cool about that attitude, <laughs> as opposed to, oh, how wonderful! I've seen the world, and yeah. and I want to tell all my friends about it. It's just yeah. like it's no. a it's another it's another way of of dealing with the fact that he's. Yeah. He's seen everything.
2: Dusting off his shoulders. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You got
3: if, Yeah, a few people had seen what I'd seen.
0: You'd be as disdainful, too. <laughs> that, that, that makes perfect sense. Um, and then uh, one, one more. I, I have to say that um I think it was um, the beginning of one of the videos I showed you, Brett, whenever I think Beast, actually, now that you talk about him, um, has sort of caught him in that sort of crystalline thing. And he says, like, you know you are no closer than the Amazonians or the Babylonians, sorry, mm-hmm. with their swords and fire sticks. And I always thought it was funny because like, <laughs> obviously like, you know, the, uh, you know, they're mentioning the Babylonians. One would assume in this world that their culture survived as long as it did. So implied in that the irony within is the Babylonians did be him. with their <laughs> swords and <fire> sticks. <laughs> You know, like, so like, I, I've always loved that in there. Um, so, I mean, that's just, you know, reasons why we've always loved apocalypse. It's sort of, you know, Kind of the one thing, you know. Whenever I show people this show, I'm like, "Oh, you got to listen to this guy talk." You know, he was
1: kind of the first one Bo introduced me yeah. through the memes we were making and whatever else, and those first clips that he had me watch in preparation for this, and I just loved like his diction. He just sounded advanced and just philosophical, like you said. And it was he's
0: just great. And um, I guess one last question I do have, and I do want to ask this one. This one, um, my cousin Dusty, texted me this, and he was the person who got me to watch your old show. Um, Yeah, that's a kid. So I want to ask his question. Yeah, Uh, Dusty McCarty. And uh, he um, wanted to ask that a lot of your contemporaries like Transformers uh, and G.I. Joe had opportunities to make animated movies like the Transformers, the movie and G.I. Joe. Uh, Were you all ever approached to make any sort of animated movie before you know the films came out or i i, I wish we had like yes we,
4: we wish we, we, we had yeah,
0: that's,
3: it's, it's, it's a small community out here the the group of people that write for animation maybe a few yeah. hundred of us and a close friend of mine dear friend was a guy named alan burnett who was we worked with me at Hanna Barbera, worked with us at disney he's Joy retired now disney, Florida. just he's recently out. retired and when I moved over to Fox for these, for X-Men and Beetlejuice and some other shows, he moved over to Warner's and became like the guy that held Batman together. He was the kind of behind the scenes supervisor of all the various Batman uh, animated shows. And they had him do half a dozen, uh, you know, 80, 90 minute animated directed DVD movies. And which, you know, which let the stories breathe more and get bigger and I would have loved to do something like that with X Men. It's just they never, mm-hmm. you know, the group that we had together to do our five years just kind of fell apart. And and, and,
2: and Marvel was going and through mangrove, bankruptcy. Yeah, we yeah, were selling off rights to different characters mm-hmm. right and left. There just wasn't a yeah. consensus behind the making of that. I've always thought X Men would be so well served. Yeah, in a in a, a direct video kind of yeah. Movie. Or even
3: even now when when there's Disney Plus, you know every four months come out with another 90 minute uh, X-Men animated uh, movie on, on the streaming service. It would, it, would be, be up for that. it would be affordable. <laughs> and it would be, you know, the, the, uh, was it? The uh, Phoenix saga was 108 minutes. You know, we know how to write that long, mm-hmm. you know, so that would have been a really cool thing to, mm-hmm. to, to, to have been part of, but we just, they never had the opportunity. They never, they never decided to produce it. Um, and yet, I noticed
2: yesterday uh, and the list of questions from yesterday, someone was asking about how, you know, how the team got chosen and why other characters weren't brought in to, you know,
4: to X factor. On. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: And just want to give a, a in, in quick answer to that. Sure. The unlike say Batman, where you have Batman and, you know, two or three other ancillary characters in the orbit with X-Men, you had to serve eight X-Men plus Professor X plus whatever they were up against, you know. uh,
3: Yeah, so there's a lot of, we even split them up a lot because that's a lot of people will be moving from place A to place B and service in a story.
2: We love Nightcrawler, but we only got to use him a couple of times. And it was just, it was a challenge servicing what was already there beyond the the hope of bringing in more characters at that Mm -hmm. time. Yeah. You know, in twenty twenty one, who knows what choices would be, would be made. But back then it was just servicing what was chosen.
3: Yeah, and that's why we kind of bring other major players from the X-Men universe one story at a time, like, oh, here's Iceman
4: mm-hmm. this yeah.
3: uh, or here's Nightcrawler. And we actually Nightcrawler went so well that we were able to do another couple with him, but mm-hmm. but we're just planning, okay, there's a lot of people to integrate, let's oh. let's bring in one at a time, or here's Scarlet Witch, or here's you know, whoever it is, we bring in a, you know, once or twice as a guest, but they're just—it's just with just too jam. It was just mm-hmm. too jammed with people for oh, storytelling.
0: And, and like, it's an interesting needle to thread, I think, because you know, with an ensemble thing, you know, you all talked about how your best stories are about you know individual characters, but different ones. But you think about you know Professor X, who's thematically the heart and soul of it, but not necessarily the protagonist of it. So you know, it—it it, it seems like sort of a you know, both a a challenge, but also something that, you know, allows you all a lot of different options to kind of, you know, go.
3: Yeah. uh, Having this group of people, it let the relationships build. It's like, Mm -hmm. I get along with soap opera or just with an ongoing series where you got to know the characters and often in the very best Mm -hmm. TV series, the third or fourth season, things get really rich because you've laid the groundwork of the Mm -hmm. first season. So you know what each person means to the other. Yeah. And then you start pushing it and start deepening it with say two or three of them, and it lets you make the richer stories as you go. But that's that's a huge the huge advantage we have in TV over movies. In in that movie, you got two hours and you got to get it done fast. Yeah. And with us, we can show different sides of Wolverine. You know, twenty different sides of Wolverine right. gradually,
4: mm-hmm. and
3: have something finally break him down you know, in episode 50, proteus, that, yeah. It, yeah, the Proteus, <laughs> proteus if, if that yeah. had happened in episode two, you wouldn't have known that was a big deal.
0: Right. But
3: right. after 49 episodes of watching this guy kick ass and struggle and be a real hero, having him break down in tears over this, this weird kid, that's, that's screwing with his head. It makes it just that much more resonant. It lets you, you know, right. it, it, yeah. Exactly. But, Very excellent.
0: So, uh, yeah. So Brett, uh, I feel like a storm is brewing, so. Uh, a storm is a brewing here. Okay, here you're wearing tennis shoes for the lightning round, you know, stay out of the board. <laughs> <port. laughs> uh, this is
1: usually Bo's chance to make all the quirky fun jokes, so he had to set me up for it here, but first off, thank you all so much. Oh, this, this is has wonderful. Been incredible. <laughs> I can see the joy on Bo's face the whole time, and For me, too, like this has been fascinating to hear how it all started and, you know, just the stories of the Genesis and how difficult things were, and really how you trusted your vision to the books and wanted to do it your way. And, like, that's how we feel with our show. And obviously, we're not working with any execs for real, even though we do in storyline on our show, we've been fired by Turner and Vince McMahon and rehired, but you know, we are creating a show and, you know, having to make characters each week and it was just awesome hearing you guys talk about that. So thank you very much. And this is going to be the fun quirky part where I'm just going to ask you random off the wall questions. We'll edit in some sounds and fun things (laughs) like that, but, uh, I'm going to need an answer from both of you on each of these. It's a lot of either or questions, but some of them you'll have to come up with. But uh, are you ready? Marriage ends tonight. (laughs) (laughs) We're not trying to do that, and it's not (laughs) going to get personal. So here we go. Let's do it. So in wrestling, there's heels and faces. The heels are the the villains. The faces are the good guys. Which do you prefer, heels or faces?
2: Well, you got to cheer for the Faces, I, I, but the challenge of coming up with a, 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 a good heel to bounce off of to play against—that's the challenge. Yes. That's the challenge. Yeah, uh,
3: I'd say the, the 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 rule out here is your heroes are only as good as your villains.
2: That's true. And, right. That's true. And
3: so that's uh, that. There's that in, in loving a, a serious villain like Apocalypse, but there's also there's a Magneto. We 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 like we like. Once in a while, we'll come up with somebody that's got a big enough character that he's in a gray area. Yes, mm. he's both heel mm-hmm. and face Ooh. because people uh,
1: like and respect him enough. We call that and a tweet. We call that a tweener in the wrestling biz. Okay,
3: so so he was our biggest tweener. <laughs> there but you go. You've got, really? you got, okay. you got the number one face. <laughs> is, yeah, yeah, and and he's he's the best friend of you know you've got a bad guy that's the best friend of a good guy.
2: Yeah.
1: Absolutely. All right. Scorpios or Geminis.
2: Geminis just because I know a couple more of those than I do Scorpios. That's all I can go for. That's and, all I can tell you. Yeah,
3: I got no clue about it. <laughs> I, I I wouldn't know what this astrological sign if hit me over the head with yeah, Sorry so, about well, that. So I could pretend, but you know. Yeah, well, let's pretend. Okay. Uh Gemini's because oh I got uh, smoked. Gemini.
1: I'm a Scorpio, yeah. and so we move along. That. I knew it no, had to go it's, it's somehow. It's I okay. knew it. You we know. are having fun here. So, the machine, Brian Cage, or Absolute Ricky Starks.
2: Oh, Brian Cage,
1: okay, Brian Cage,
2: because we know because he's been a fan of the book of the show. Sorry, whoever yeah, the fellow is.
3: Absolute self-interest.
1: Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs>
0: Love I guess it, we got to talk it. about that a little bit. We, well, we've, we've, yeah. So th-
1: yeah, I've actually got a question on that. Yeah, he's liked a few of our tweets. I think, was it Master Mold typically? Ma- ma- yeah, ma- I've
0: called him that multiple times. Yeah. yeah.
1: So that leads to my next question because Brian Cage had a typo. He called him Master Mole. So my question is, who wins? Master Mole or Daycrawler? Is
2: Master Mold still plugged in?
1: That's
3: I'm a big, I'm a big master mold fan. A, because it birthed massive villainous machine robot machines. This is true. And it could talk while its body was missing and the head was walking around in a cave. So That's true. Master That's Mold true. is one of my favorite ones to write for. And they loved drawing it because it was mm-hmm. huger, except for Apocalypse. Huger. It was huger than any of the other. It, it made all the other big Sentinel rob- robots
1: look tiny. Right. But imagine yeah. if it was a mole, a master mole. A mole, yeah. With <laughs> a little team. With team. I'm,
2: I'm thinking the Incredibles people uh, may have paid attention to that when they came up with uh, the Un- uh, The under they had a character at the very end who was nothing is above me because I am below you. Yeah,
1: I think Marvel's (laughs) got a mole man. Yeah, yeah, mole man. Yeah, well, Master Mole it is. Have you seen the Have you seen the movie Demolition Man?
2: Oh my God, it's been it has for me. It's been decades. I I probably need to go watch (laughs) it again.
1: Uh, uh, Wesley
3: Stipes, and uh, and Schwarzenegger. Yeah, so
1: in that movie, they have franchise wars, and Taco Bell is the ultimate winner of the franchise wars. So I want to know, who wins your franchise wars between these four? Cinnabon, Auntie Anne's, McAllister's Deli, and Moe's Southwest Grill.
2: That's not fair, because we're not (laughs) near you. (laughs) <laughs> where we can go enjoy some of those that's some fair. of those choices but, that's but, fair.
3: But she is a queen of junk food so i <laughs> i i'd, 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 I'd say cinnamon for her and the grill for me Okay, but I will okay. say
2: McMaster's, uh, I saw them today online and,
1: and Mcallisters
2: McAllister's, yeah. McAllisters yeah. I liked what I saw so. so
1: they're all owned by the same comp focus brands and they've engaged with us on Twitter. It was initially Cinnabon then Mcallisters and like we've always had oh, a nice. lot of fun We've had a lot of fun with them and Mcallisters sent us some free stuff McCall- so yeah did and there and are our apocalypse too yeah In- there, are our apocalypse thing, today, there are comparison there are apocalypse yeah. Um. Okay. So moving Get on. Screwed. Just a few. Just, just a few more here. Um. What frequency is the light emanated by? And what is the power output of Cyclops' laser diode?
2: Oh. Oh. Now, are are we talking uh, on the toy, or are we talking the optic blast from his eyes in the series? Because it's an optic blast. It's not a laser. Let
3: me just oh oh, okay. It's an interesting thing that they screwed up in the movies, and they screwed up. So we we were given we tried when we learned (laughs) all the rules for all the powers. Yeah, we don't want to get it wrong. We don't want the fans angry, and we want the writers to write within the rules and not bend anything. And something that we were told the first day is that what comes out of Cyclops's eyes smashes things. It doesn't burn things.
2: It's a concussive blast. It's a concussive
3: yeah. blast. Not a laser. Not, not a laser. So so in that way, it's. I, I we were careful. And I think if you've got 76 episodes, I don't think we screwed that up.
2: We don't say it out loud, but you do see him cut off the heads of sentinels, and you're going, well, that looks like a laser, but no one calls it out as a laser. So highly yeah. uh, focused concussive blasts that yeah. look like lasers.
1: Yeah, very it interesting like,
3: like, yes yeah, yeah. so it's yes yeah, it's, it's
1: not it's not hot it's it's concussive concussive yeah. <laughs> i was going to say the correct answer is actually seven. Oh, or 42 <laughs> there you go could have been could have been yeah. um what is your favorite fruit
2: we're lucky we live out here in southern california so we get to enjoy an awful really lot uh, i'm gonna say we've got some blueberries upstairs oh great
1: I like Ooh, grapes, 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 St- good grapes, strawberries. Star- okay. Uh, there you go. Mine's pineapple, but not on pizza. Uh,
2: okay. All right. We'll so, make a note but of that.
1: All of those sound great too. Um, <laughs> do you like sports? Yes, very much so. All right. Well, who are your favorite teams, players? Or yes.
3: We, Africa, are, we, are, we are, we are, we are shareholders. Okay. Oh, cool. He was born in Madison, Wisconsin.
1: Oh, wow. Grew up
2: in Texas. We're We're heading up up there.
1: We're actually heading up there soon. I've never been to Wisconsin, so we met a group of people through podcasting that all live up in Milwaukee or Madison. AEW, the wrestling show we cover, is going to be up there, while the Cincinnati Reds are up there, who we're both fans of. Mm -hmm. So the timing is perfect, and we are very much looking forward to it. Yeah, it's oh. gonna be a lot of fun. It'll be end of August. We're going yeah. up there, so I think we're doing yeah. two two nights in Milwaukee and one in Madison. So
2: you will eat good food and drink good beer. That is say. what
1: that is mm. what I yeah. keep hearing.
2: Yeah. Boy, heck, the bakery up there is insane. Bakery,
3: the sauce, German sausages, oh. and the
2: heck fish. Yeah. If, yeah. If you get oh yeah. Up. yeah, yeah. Get up.
3: Heck the heck fish. Yeah. fish
2: fry. Yeah. Get to a they fish always ride. have
3: fish fries on Friday. Walleye Pike Everywhere. is, is the,
1: <laughs> okay. the state fish. Yeah, excellent, excellent. Sorry,
2: I, I know. Love it, love
1: Pre-made it. Um, so we've had this gentleman like some of our tweets on Twitter. The X Men director, Larry Houston. You know, so the question is, is Larry Houston the thirdly Lee <laughs> <laughs> or, or are
0: we the
2: are we the are second and third, third Houston? <laughs> Houston. All right.
0: I, I just Blair? came up with a new name for him. Sorry. Let's do it. Three-walled. Oh!
3: <laughs> yeah, Larry's actually a year <laughs> old, older than I am, so I have to defer to... to but, have,
2: but he was he was key to us getting the chance to make the book we made because he had storage units that he had put things in and hadn't gotten rid of
4: for we've, decades. We've, we've, we've
3: each worked on, on 40-some different shows over yeah. our long careers. Wow. The two of us. La- Larry's choice. worked on 80-some wow and so he's he's like a a, a senior guy uh in in our artist in our business and 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 a great guy and just a a great guy a a close friend and the first of of all things i think was 79 the first african-american to ever draw storyboard art for a television show in
1: america wow yeah that's That's amazing amazing. things you don't think about and that's awesome we um, we've loved that he'll you know he's engaged with us and we've just oh joked God. that that he's the third Lee Wald so maybe yeah. you are the second and third Houston so we've,
3: we've done we are, eighty we've done eighty percent of our cons uh, with him right uh, like it's like we're, we're it's yeah. like we're the core and yeah. then if we, if we can get a, if we can get them to pay to bring down a couple of the voice talent great
1: or add a writer or yeah. add something else. But the core is usually the three of us. Yeah, love yeah. it, love it. So I've got one analogy question, and then we're going to wrap it up with two X Men related questions. So, do you like analogies?
2: Okay.
1: <laughs> well, I've no, had a no, I, yes, no. Is this is this binary? Had, yes, no. I've okay. had a serious analogy to mold recently that's affected me, but we push on. Over that. Oh, that so, a I love that. Yeah. if Cyclops is Hulk Hogan and Wolverine is Macho Man Randy Savage, and Apocalypse is The Rock, and Nightcrawler is Stone Cold Steve Austin, and Professor X is Tony Khan, and Magneto is Vince McMahon, and Mystique is Stephanie McMahon, and Gambit is Brett the Hitman Hart, and Storm is Trish Stratus, and of course the Sentinels are Andre the Giant. Then who are you?
2: <laughs> we are the folks who've paid money to sit in the theater there and the arena and and cheer and scream and go yay! Or we're, we're the latter No, or, or we're the we're the suitcase holding the money, the money in the uh, bank. Yeah. Oh yeah. You
1: Which one of the new day members, Big E, just won last night? Uh, yeah. Oh my god. Oh my god.
0: Suitcase Suitcase
1: Yeah. Is the correct answer? The correct answer is Eric and Julia Lewald. Mm.
2: woo we are honored we are okay
1: so those (laughs) both done similar ones with other interviews so i'm like let me put my own spice on the analogy question
0: we did a spider-man villain one for a wrestler who has a spider-man tattoo and he loves like his name comes after spider-man i think partially so yeah yeah so final
1: two burning questions and they are both x-men related which x-men superpower would you choose
2: I love this question. Uh, if I were being magnanimous, I would probably go with storm because that way I could actually help in terms of weather and you know, put out a few fires, put some water in a lake. Um, but if I wanted to be selfish, I've always, you know, I, I really, I really like um, how, how Nightcrawler can just go where he wants to go. Yeah. But, but he only has line of sight, which that kind of dulls that for me. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. I'd, I'd want to be able to, so flight, I would like, mm-hmm. I would like to mm-hmm. be able to fly.
1: Yep.
3: Yeah, yeah, and and I I think, uh, gee, that's a tough one. Uh, yeah. back, I mean, ex- Xavier's exam- again. That's that's kind of idealistic because it's probably a pain in the ass here. <laughs> oh <laughs> man. Getting it. everybody's it's head.
4: Yeah. yeah. Would
3: probably really weigh <coughs> on. You. Like, uh, uh, but I uh, maybe uh, I, I don't know. Uh, uh, morph is the most fun. Yeah. He has the most fun. He can just he could he can mess with anybody. Yes, he can. And he could probably, you know, it's like when you want a little kid, you want to be able to be invisible, so you could sneak in and steal money or steal food or the girl's locker room or something. Morph morph can morph can be anybody. Yeah. So yeah. So Morph it it is for me.
1: So those are your favorite superpowers. So the final question who is your favorite X-Men character?
2: I, I love I love them all, but I gotta say I, I, I my heart goes out to beast. I love him mm. being the smartest guy in the room, but just and he always is, and probably the strongest most of the time. But he's just mm. damaged poet, romantic soul. It's like oh <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I Yeah, yeah.
3: And, and, and my and mine's Xavier, because I like a lot of elements of the rest of them. Uh, but I just I, I just
1: identify more with him. And that, I, interesting because I feel like you both said that those were the two you enjoyed writing most as well. Yeah. So Yeah, so write, write
3: yourself exactly. Yeah,
1: yeah. exactly.
0: Yeah. Well, I'll go ahead, Bo. Now I said I remember one thing I liked in your old book that you said is someone commented about liking writing Beast and that he was like an aspirational type of character, like yeah. in learning that that's like that's it, that's it, like like a children's like a, like a cartoon archetype. I had no idea you know that that's an archetype existed, but now I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, uh, you know. Very cool. I
1: Excellent. Thought
0: that was cool. Well, thank you all again
1: so much. This has been amazing. Um, I can't wait to watch more of the show, and I really am going to because I love the first episode, and it's been such a joy talking to
0: you guys. And, Bo, I'll let you kind of take it away here, brother. Yeah, I uh, just want to say thank you all so much, A, for engaging with us, B, for engaging with our a small little corner of the Internet, and C, uh, coming on to our show. Uh, I, I want to close with this little story. Um, so, uh, and I know this may sound off the wall, but, um, I, I used to buy a lot of concert tickets off Ticketmaster and Ticketmaster got sued, um, one time. And so as compensation, because I think they weren't transparent with their like ticket fees.
2: Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I got 10 free tickets and so I decided to use all of them to go see Steely Dan. Oh, well, you kind of, you know? kind of cut, uh, you cut
1: out there. You cut out there.
3: Yeah. Yes. I invited,
0: I, I invited a bunch of people and we all went to go see it. and. Uh, you know it was partially like you know, I wanted to you know curate a good time, but also partially it was I looked at it as a profession of love for Steely Dan, and uh, I just want to thank you all because I feel like this is kind of my opportunity to profess my love for your show, and uh, oh you know, and uh, just you know, nobody can take that away from me now, and uh, you're yeah, gonna make and, me and cry here, yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, you know, and, oh. it's and it's not just me, it's a lot of people who I've told. Like, you know, that, you know, we would be talking to you all and, uh, you know, I just want to say you have a, a lot of fans and thank you for, uh, for your show. We appreciate, and well. we appreciate
3: hearing it. Cause you know, we just, we, as I say, we, we write in our, the quiet of our office <laughs> or, or our, our kitchen table. <laughs> yeah. And it's not like a performer who mm-hmm. who can uh-uh. sense if they're getting, if mm-hmm. they're getting, if they're getting across to an audience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when we started going to cons, we started meeting people. But that's for only whom, been the last for, four years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. In the last four years who, who for whom it was their be- it was their number one show and we yeah. we have the same thing we're fans we have yeah. shows that grabbed us the way nothing else did or songs or whatever that, that yeah. and mm-hmm. so knowing that that exists is just really important to us
2: yeah thank you thank no you, problem
0: thank you. no problem thank you all
2: um, if we could put in a pitch uh, for folks to find us in please
0: on, yeah. plug anything plug you on, want.
2: on twitter Oh, oh, Very nice on Twitter. I tend to be there a lot more than I should be on Twitter. <laughs> uh, and on the Twitter, we've got links uh, through to Amazon for for our book X Men: The Art and Making of the Animated Series, and the book that Eric did about four years ago called Previously on X Men. It's about the make. It's behind the scenes making of. This is a lot of interviews. This interviews is with interviews like forty cool.
4: people. The other Lots one is the art. It.
2: So um, again, consider that. We'd appreciate it, and we hope to get our website xmentas.com up and running by the end of the week we've been sort of uh, we've
3: reworking re- 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 it.
2: it yeah and, and that'll be up and running very soon so please come find us if folks are interested the uh, The art book is just an astonishing uh, piece of art i think just from the fan point of view there is yeah. stuff in there that hasn't seen the light of day in 30 years
1: the lee waldapedia for-
0: <laughs> 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 all right So yeah, please try and
2: find us and we'll try and stay involved. So thank you. Thank you both very much.
0: Yeah, Thank you all for coming on. This has been unbelievable. Absolutely. We'll We'll share a
1: link to the show when it's ready. And uh, thank you so much. We appreciate it. it. Bye-bye. Bye, you all. Okay, before we dive into Dynamite Fighter Fest Night Two, I just want to mention because I literally just got done watching it before we popped on here New Japan Wrestle Grand Slam in the Tokyo Dome, which they haven't ran two Tokyo Dome shows in a year, and I don't know how long, maybe ever. So, this was the second one. Unfortunately, Kota Ibushi, who was one of my favorite wrestlers, was facing my favorite wrestler, Shingo Takagi, in the main event for the IWGP heavyweight title. Had to be pulled just the day before for like some sort of severe case of pneumonia. Like we're told it's not COVID related. Oh, no. But yeah, so I think he's like, okay, but like was supposed to be on the show. They literally took it as long as they could. He was replaced by Hiroshi Tanahashi, and oh boy, it was an incredible match. Another five-star match for those two this year. Um, (laughs) Shingo gets his win back over Tanahashi in just a grueling 37-minute main event. Shingo now with four of my six five-star matches on the year. He's just on another fucking level right now. And just other great matches, tag titles between uh, Naito and Sonata and Dangerous Techers, rematch from just two weeks ago. The Techers take it back in another grueling fucking 39-minute affair. Um, Okada defeats Jeff Cobb in a slugfest. Great shit, great shit. And Robbie Eagles takes the junior heavyweight title off El Desperado. And I know you don't give a shit about any of it, but as you know, I will also take any moment I can to talk a little New Japan on this program.
0: No, I mean, it's, it sounds awesome. You know, I definitely, you know, want to check it out. And, yeah, uh, and I, look, you've watched a little oh, yeah. bits of it, but yeah. Well, you know, and it made me think, too, like, you know, 37-minute match, 39-minute, you know, that's you what I'm saying. Yeah, so
1: that's why this recording got a little delayed, too. I'm like, yeah, these are long, man, yeah, but, yeah. but long and compelling, you know. Yeah. And some Some matches they have aren't that but well, like it 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 hit it hit big time
0: yeah and it made me kind of think like you know whenever like i was watching dynamite and i saw like the time remaining because it was on the recorded version and like we were getting down to mox and archer and it was like i think there was like 12 minutes left i was like man that's all they're giving it you know yeah it's like uh you know and, and not to say it was a bad man i guess you know to kind of Being to pivot toward uh, yeah, let's segue right into
1: it. And I thought it was an excellent match. Yeah, Yeah. I think it ended up getting like thirteen minutes and change, something like that. Uh, But Lance Archer, finally, you know, we've talked about this for feels like a year, Mm -hmm. just about how he's he's been able to etch his way into these big matches. You know, these big moments on Dynamite. Right. You know, he's challenged for the World Title twice. I think he's challenged for the TNT Title twice. Never gets the big win. Finally, he gets his big win in a rematch over John Moxley from the Tokyo Dome in 2020. Texas deathmatch in his hometown of Dallas. He slams him through barbed wire through two tables to do it. It was brutal. It was bloody. I loved it. And I'm very, very happy to see Archer finally get that moment that he deserves.
0: Yeah. And, it, you know, if Mox would have kept it like, you know, it, there would have just been another list of Challengers, some you know less, you know entrenched in AEW, like you yeah. know his previous tour, and um, yeah, I mean I thought it was great, you know the fork thing, yep, you know yep. I I don't know if I'd seen <laughs> the fork thing before, but that was pretty gruesome yeah. to kind of, to kind of watch, uh, but yeah, I mean I thought it was a great main event, you know it, it, it yeah it seemed like you know it was thirteen minutes and change, I don't know, I guess uh, you know. With these brutality matches, you know, I feel like they often go on a little bit longer because they got to like take time to set up everything. And, yeah, but they you know, went
1: right into it. Yeah, they, yeah, they,
0: yeah. It was very bang, bang. And uh, yeah, yeah that was a good match.
1: Never a dull moment. And nope. another spot I just wanted to mention was not only the choke slam through the barbed wire on the table, but remember Archer had set up two chairs. Oh, yeah. Slip, like back right into the chair. Yeah. Like, Ouchie, grouchie.
0: Yeah. yeah. And it was just like right into that from the get go. So, yep. you know, not not a lot of like, you know, pausing and like letting people like letting the oh who's got a four? Go oh, my go, yeah. what you gonna do? You know, <laughs> it, it was just it was like bang, I, bang, I, bang, I, bang,
1: bang, 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 yeah, bang. Yeah, yeah. It was a lot of fun. And Hikaleo of the Bullet Club and New Japan and brother of the uh Gorillas of Destiny, the former seven-time IWGP tag team champs, and Haku, also known as Ming. So Hikaleo, who dwarfed Lance Archer, who's like 6'8 himself, like, holy shit. Uh, I mentioned to you, like, it took this guy, he was a little little green, a little not that great when he first came up, but he's getting a lot better. Right. Um, and it was cool just to see him there. Again, just so much of this crossover going on now. We'll have a little bit more discussion of that here momentarily, but excited to see it. Two big guys going at it. I mean, I, you know, you got to think Archer's going to win, but Exciting to see some more uh, New Japan AEW crossover.
0: Yeah, you love to see it. Love you know? to see it. And I love to see those New Japan rules, too. You know, I love oh, yeah. like those kind of like that 10 count, Yeah, t- Yeah,
1: the 20. Or yeah. The,
0: you know, the, oh, it's the 20. Oopsie. Yeah, 20. yeah. But, uh, but yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah. It, it, yeah, but like, you know, adds a new like layer of tension to the match that, you know, is not typically there. And I really like that. Absolutely.
1: Well, let's just kick back to the beginning of the show. We're just going to quickly run through kind of some high moments and just you know, briefly mention anything and just, well, before I do that, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the heavy, heavy rumors going around. And I don't want to get too deep into it now, but both Daniel Bryan and CM Punk allegedly have signed contracts, have agreements in place, you know, who knows what to believe, but reputable sources are reporting this. It's crazy. It's insane. I know you've seen Daniel Bryan a little bit. You probably haven't seen CM Punk, but I know I told you it was one, you know, literally from 09 to 14 when he left, my favorite wrestler. I credit him for being a big reason for me getting in and staying into wrestling. He's been gone for seven years. So, like, I just, I can't even fathom, like, if he shows up at All Out in Chicago and he's at the Dynamite we're at in Cincinnati, like, I can't even just believe that might happen. So yeah. again, I'm not trying to count chickens. I'm excited about it. Uh but well, thank, yeah.
0: God, thank God they have Rampage now cuz if they're, if that know, roster's going to get that big, you know, like you have to find bit, a way for These people, are people to be on there. fucking
1: stars, you know. Mm-hmm. These are these were game changers in WWE for years. And it's just thrilling to even think about. So like yeah. it's we'll see what happens. Uh just wanted to mention it and just kind of on that tone of Crossover, people showing up, unpredictability. After Jericho beats uh, Sean Spears in a fun little match, um, MJF comes out, and the second labor. Is a bank robber. He's a fucking maniac, uh, a guy. You probably have no idea who. He um, is. Yeah, I, I wrote down in my notes
0: who is Nick Gage. So. Nick
1: Gage is someone who I don't know much about. I've never really seen him wrestle, but he is renowned. He's a death match guy, like gotcha. he's a fucking insane. I gathered monster. that. Yeah. I think he really was part of like an armed robbery and like has a like, criminal past and like just is a complete loose cannon maniac. But like people love him. He's got a huge reputation on the indies, like he was just part part of one of those vice documentary series that they were doing. So like he got a lot of exposure from that. Um, I'm excited about it. Cause it's just like, again, this guy's got some buzz, even though he did just lose the GCW title, I think uh-huh. like last night, but like, he's a fucking factor on the Indies and like, I just love seeing that here right. in AEW and it's probably going to be insane because he's a lunatic and you know, I think there's going to be a lot of people mad when Jericho wins because he's just going to win. That's the story they're telling. And it's like, oh, you're going to job out, Nick. It's like, just take it easy. Let's enjoy this. So you're, you have Nick Gage on Dynamite. So yeah. everyone chill out. This is going to be awesome.
0: Yeah, I thought MJF was fun on commentary, too.
1: Oh, God. Yeah. He's he's just put a – give the man a microphone. Oh, right? yeah, which one might assume
0: he's going to be playing that role during the rest of the labors of Jericho. I hope so, yeah. yeah.
1: And we get Chris Jericho, the pain maker. Next yeah, yeah, yeah. One of his gimmicks in New Japan. And uh, you saw the look and mm-hmm. uh, yeah, should different side of Jericho should be another brutal match. Um, And then we have this week's dose of Kenny Omega and hangman Adam page, which it's the tamest that's been, you know, in these past few weeks, which is fine. It's still, is very exciting. It's compelling. They're moving the ball forward and we get the news that the five-on-five elimination match is next week, and it's going to be a fucking banger.
0: Yeah. No, I mean, this is the start of that whole story in ring now. This is just the start. You know, it is, and it's going to be, uh, yeah, like, you know, definitely, like, excited to see this story kind of kick off, like, in actual matches, and, you know, here we go.
1: And I think the mat. I mean, we talked a little bit last week, just so many different possibilities of how this could shake down, but, you know, the Dark Order are going to win. They have to win. Uh, yep. but it's going to be thrilling. I can't wait. Um, interesting that they had Kazarian take that loss to Gallo. Very but it quickly. I know. Yeah, it's like that kind of kills the Elite Hunter thing a little bit. I know there was some interference and whatnot, and it really kind of served to bring Hangman out to make the save and yeah. whatnot, but it's like, really? Did you have to do that?
0: Well, and Picture-in-Picture so, Picture is like right in the middle, and right after Picture-in-Picture yeah. Picture is when like uh, Doc Gallo is basically... Gave him that like big ass choke slam or, yeah. or that chokeslam power bomb thing that he yeah. did. And that was it.
1: Yeah, you know? an interesting booking decision. But anywho, yeah. Um, and then we had another uh Wheeler Utah match, this time against Darby. Again, under five minutes. But again, this guy continues to impress. He's very springy, yeah. He's uh jumpy, he's uh very smooth, and uh I, I hope we see more of him, but oh, yeah, really but Sure. We okay, will. They
0: keep, I'm, I said, I'm sure they will. They keep booking him in these spots. Yeah. Yeah. Know, these so. like
1: quick little matches that like both guys end up looking good, but the real headline here was the brutal physical
0: exchange between sting and orange Cassidy. Yeah. That was, you know, like you said, like you were telling me before, like a sign of respect, like I remember yeah. that was spoiled for me on Twitter because I watched the slate. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, people were like, oh, they're going to fight. And so I thought, like, oh, man, did they get into it? But, like, you know, they, they just kind of do the, the, the classic orange exchange. Yeah, Which, and- like, I honestly thought was kind of, like, cooler, you know. Uh It was great. I don't know if we need an Orange Cassidy slash Sting fight, you know. No, I think yeah. that was perfect,
1: you know. Yeah. Like, and Sting beat his chest like that. Like, it was just great. And, yeah, I think that was just, like, you know, Sting wouldn't have done that if he didn't want to do it. And I yeah. think that was just a way of him, like, you know, Pass the torch, sign a respect. What's well, like, I dig it. Man. Like those like,
0: characters acknowledging each other. Dude. Yeah. It's
1: like, you are a diff- completely different professional wrestler than I am, but this is all wonderful and I love it. Yeah. So, yeah, good shit. Um, Brit defeats Nyla, as we all expected. A bit sloppy at times, but still a decent match. You know, I enjoyed most of it, but yeah, they just don't have like a ton of chemistry, but uh, it was, it was good. Yeah, it was fine. <laughs> but i guess a note here Britt presented big time baby face like the crowd is oh yeah loving her so like i was actually pretty active on twitter that night for once yeah. um and like so many people tweeting and i said something too it's like can you really even bring brit back as like a heel because the crowd loves her so much it's like I think she's just going to kind of have to be a face, but still be kind of like a bitch. And like, she can't lose that edge. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, but, and I
0: think, and I think people like that too, you know, and they're absolutely. like you know, putting Nyla with Vicky. It's like, yeah. that, like, like to me, that's pretty like obvious that they, that they knew, absolutely. you know, like after she beat Cheetah, like people like her promos, people like the deep MVP thing, like way too yep. much, you know, yeah. um, I get way too much for her to just be like presented as a heel. So and kind yeah. of, kind of interesting, you know, like a little turn that's occurring. Uh, you know, while holding the title.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah. And again, she just can't lose that edge, but uh, yeah, interesting stuff. And I'd say since crowds have come back full force, it's like hangman number one, her probably number two in terms of like crowd reactions. So, yeah. I, w-
0: I would agree. Yeah.
1: Interesting to note going ahead. Uh, we had like a little press conference thing with FTR and Santana and Ortiz I'm just gonna say, can't fucking wait for that match. Next Me neither. Week, it's gonna be
0: sick. Yeah. I don't
1: know who's gonna win. I really don't. I'm not even gonna pick it. I just can't wait. Should be mm-hmm. great. Okay, and then uh, more surprises. Andrade's surprise finally is he brings in not Vicky Guerrero, but Chavo Guerrero uh which again i know we talked a little bit You're, you don't know too too much about Chavo, but he's been a you know a fixture in professional wrestling for you know probably 30 years all over the place was in wcw wwe all over mexico lucha underground it's just uh, great to have him here and you know just continuing that like you never know who's going to show up here anymore and it's just fucking great
0: yeah, no, I thought, you know, a decent little interesting twist for Andrade is trying to get – and nice to see Ray Phoenix again, obviously.
1: Yeah, just uh, that, yeah. Whole, that whole time they came out, like, I thought, I love that segment. Like, each guy got the time to talk. Like, Pac was obviously sick. They were ripping on Pac for not spe- – I, I I love this segment. I'm I just – I can't wait to see these matches, and I was intrigued the whole time this was happening.
0: Yeah, and it was kind of fun, you know, that Andrade I, – I assume we're headed toward Andrade, Andrade versus Pac. You know. Yeah. I yeah. mean,
1: again, maybe multiple of them at some point, but yeah, right. that was definitely kind of the most direct, but I don't know. They all were kind of talking shit. So, yeah. and I, I wonder if Chavo, like he can still wrestle certainly like he's probably in his late forties. So will he be getting
0: in the ring? Mm-hmm. We'll see. Yeah, it could be interesting
1: um and then yeah that's pretty much all i had um is there anything else like noteworthy like i just really kind of wanted to run through the high points which there were Uh, oh yeah
0: i think you pretty much hit all of the things that i uh oh i guess i have this really um weird observation that i totally could have made on episode one but ftw the title and ftr uh yeah you ever think those two are like kind of too close together like like, like those names like because like I,
1: I still get them confused in my head yeah it's a little i yeah, mean the yeah, ftw yeah. thing was taz i think it really means like oh. fuck the world yeah yeah and it's but like it, it, he just made it up and whenever and yeah it is it is funny so
0: so they probably predate aew and oh, so you know that, that's just the situation thing. yeah gotcha. That, that, i gotcha that's mean, what i thought s-
1: yeah similarly it's like you got brian cage you got christian cage you got ethan page you got adam page and yeah. you got nick and you got nick gage
0: yeah and so now it's like you know pretty easy to kind of like distinguish that but i don't know I, I i just had that thought for the first time today and yeah, uh, yeah no yeah. yeah sick okay cool well bye bye yeah yeah, yeah yeah bye uh yeah i guess next week uh you know, the fight for the fallen stuff going to be cool. It is going to be sick.
1: I can't yeah. wait. Uh, and maybe we'll, uh, don't get mad. Maybe we'll just hear from Greg. I don't know. We'll, uh, at least we got to evaluate that in some ways.
0: So. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm going to enjoy the rest of my day. So,
1: yeah, I, me too. Yeah.
0: And I hope you do too. And yeah, and I hope you, the royal you, the uh, royal scam you out there. Ta um, ta. Oh, ta oh. ta. Bye, See ya. Bye. See ya. Later. Bye. Bye Peace. bye.